Hello again and welcome to episode 6 of this Post-Concussion Syndrome Awareness Podcast. Um, we've taken a, a look at a few different subjects and in our last podcast I um, had a, an interview with uh, uh, a lady who's uh, been through PCS, um, been through the journey and come out the other side and recovered and gone to to improve her own life. And I think there's there's many, many more positive stories to come in this series of podcasts and, and later video casts. Um, I don't want to focus on so many of the problems, day-to-day problems that are discussed in the groups, but we will touch on those, we will cover them, but I don't just want to dwell on the types of issues which can go around in circles. And these are people's frustrations with uh, uh, regional, national healthcare systems, with um, problems with health insurance and, and, and so on. Some things we've already covered uh, because it can be, particularly with post-concussion syndrome and brain injury, it can be really, really frustrating. And you may not have the insight or the wisdom or even the help of somebody who's been there before you. So the main thing is not to keep repeating these cycles. Uh, it's tremendously difficult if you've uh, experienced any type of amnesia. And of course, the, the three main types of amnesia following a mild traumatic brain injury are post-traumatic amnesia, retrograde amnesia and anterograde amnesia. So the specific problems and issues um, are something I'll talk about in a minute. And that really, really doesn't help. Um, on top of that, if you're suffering with post-traumatic amnesia or any, any other types of amnesia, then being heavily medicated really won't help, whether that is uh, prescription drugs or allopathic drugs as are known, or even self-medicating with alcohol or um, street drugs as are known. So I'm going to speak about a few of those as well, because I, th- I think that's all relevant. But I will not focus on constantly kind of going back round in circles. That that doesn't help anyone, I don't think. I think at that point, you need somebody to stop you and say, right, look forwards. Here's how I recovered. Here's where I went. Uh, there are other people here. You know, there are many people from all backgrounds, all works of life, walks of life, sorry, and, and uh, you know, they've recovered in, in different ways. Yes, some of them had the help and support of their families and uh, their husbands or wives or the employer was supportive or they had friends. Others just maybe, you know, didn't have as much support and had to do most of it themselves and had to really tough it out and rough it out. And I think it, it is very much dependent on where you live your background, your class background, and obviously your, your personal circumstances. So, yeah, first of all, uh, amnesia. Now, each of you will know, and quite often in the first early days and weeks following a concussion, uh, you, you're going to be in a state of kind of very much um, a negative flux in terms of what you can remember, what you can't remember. There may be uh, may have been a loss of consciousness 
at the time of your accident or the time of your injury. There may not have been, but there still either way may be post-traumatic uh, amnesia, which is a general part of post-concussive symptoms. And this can be forgetting times, dates, names, places. Uh, you generally have a better visual view of people's faces. You can remember faces. You can remember things once you see them. And the post-traumatic amnesia also brings a sense of loss and grief for the personal self. And I, I, I particularly thought it, it was depersonalizing in in a way um, which was quite scary. Um, so I don't know if other people have got thoughts on that and you, if you want to talk about uh, early amnesia, but post-traumatic amnesia generally will clear up within a, you know, a few weeks or so, or maybe a month or two or three of a maltraumatic brain injury. As well, the other types, retrograde amnesia. So difficulty recalling past events. This is drawing on the memory banks right from the back, back of the brain. Um, finding ways to pull forward information as and when needed. This is something that you take for granted in a healthy state, but simply becomes a real tussle, a real fight, a real battle following concussion. And it can literally cover the whole span of your life. You can forget things from childhood to, to um, your 20s, 30s and, and, and so on. You could forget important dates, important things, important events, and only once you're reminded can you then really often struggle to build a picture of it, of what happened. Often with retrograde amnesia, you have to really, really give it time. You have to really, really dig deep uh, because there won't always be the same type of recall that a healthy brain would be able to uh, produce. So the retrograde one can be the most worrying probably to other people around you. They will see a change in your dif a difference in your behavior. They will see that you just don't seem to be the same person and you don't seem to respond in the present moment to um, associated memories and things regarding them and other people. Uh, the other form which is the, the most common, is anterograde amnesia, which is difficulty in making new memories. So, uh, as, as I did after my uh, initial concussions in 2006, I had all three types of amnesia. It was just, oof, yeah, um, I think it, it, was, it was pretty harsh to deal with them. Uh, and this anterograde amnesia, uh, it's probably one of the ones that can go on the longest, I think. Um, and it can be where you're struggling to take information in, and this can always always fits in with other uh, neurological conditions, asphasia and, and, and so on, and, and ataxia and, and all the others there where you have difficulty then processing new information. Until those neuronal pathways, until those... Um, that neuroplasticity in the brain comes up trumps and helps to re-enliven those distended axonal neuron, neuronic cells in the brain and to, to start to rewire your brain, then you're going to really struggle to, to study anything. I, I couldn't even pick up a book and read it. I mean, I was like one of the world's biggest bookworms. 
uh, for before my injury, but I couldn't pick up a book and get through it. It was just impossible to get past page one, and I'd be reading, but nothing would be going in. So anterograde is very difficult, um, especially if you've, you're working, you're in a working environment. You've got to go back to work following an injury, and it can well be that you know people kind of look at you like, well, oh, you know, this this guy, this woman, you know, they, they're like the village idiot. They don't know what they're doing. They can't kind of process anything. You know, you get you can get some fairly harsh treatment just on the back of that that type of amnesia, and of course, there's no sympathy, there's no empathy either. Um, so those three types of amnesia are the most common ones as we understand it. Now going further into post-concussion syndrome, um, we've already talked about how prescription medications, if they're overused uh, for mild traumatic brain injury beyond one to three months, can really just uh, put the condition in stasis or, or, or cause it to be a lot worse. Uh, now a lot of people say, "Well, oh no, no, I need my medications. I need, I need to be on them for long term and that, uh, the rest of my life and so on." But a lot of these people are referring to uh, something above and beyond mild traumatic brain injury, the traumatic or severe traumatic brain injury, or they're referring to the fact that they've had multiple, multiple mild traumatic brain injuries, so five or ten or fifteen or twenty, and so. That's above and beyond the sphere of, you know, somebody who's maybe had a couple of concussions um, because obviously then you're looking into the area of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, you're looking towards um, mild encephalopathy, you're looking towards traumatic and severely traumatic brain injuries and, yeah, many of those are a lot more volatile. Uh, whereas, yeah, look, people have had mild traumatic brain injury may not have even lost consciousness. They may not have even passed out. Um, and it's not a prerequisite that you have to be unconscious in order to have had uh, such a concussion. So the drugs factor is, is very kind of, it can be divisive, but only if people don't understand where that's coming from or why, why that's been said. Um, of course, you should always... Uh, treat the thing separately. Mild traumatic brain injury and post-concussion syndrome are very, very, very different to TBI, STBI and CTE. And not only in terms of diagnosis, but in terms of treatment and the way that they, they should be viewed in a holistic sense. The initial Glasgow Coma Scale, which is still, which is fairly outdated, but um, as it suggests, came from Glas Glasgow, was developed at Glasgow in Scotland and hospitals there, uh, rates head injuries on a scale. So initially, scores between 1 and 15 uh, will be assessed pretty rapidly should somebody be taken into hospital. So bear in mind that the vast majority, probably 80% of some things, 70-80% of mild traumatic brain injuries, will never ever get into a hospital. They won't get there. So all of the ones, maybe 20-30% that do get there, and the rest traumatic, severely traumatic, and, and other problems, will be classed on the Glasgow Coma Scale. So if somebody has been in a car accident, 
for example, and they may have a broken leg, they may have uh, a broken rib, they may have some other trauma or, or bodily trauma, uh, and they may have also had a concussion. So the Glasgow Coma Scale could then be used to uh, assess a person, and they would be generally if they'd only had a, a, a minor whiplash concussion and had not lost consciousness, then that could be fairly low on the scale, you know, maybe one, two or three. Um, above that could be classed as traumatic, particularly with any uh, period of unconsciousness or uh, loss of um, coordination or complete kind of, completely where somebody's out of it. And then further up the scale, nearer towards 10, 12, 15, is where somebody's maybe been in a coma or the, a, temp, a temporal coma, or they've had a loss of consciousness for, uh, consciousness for a larger time, or the physical injuries are, are more severe as well. So, yeah, there, there is this big um, kind of gap between one condition and the other two or three. And this is something that has to be talked about. You can't avoid it by saying, "Oh, well, you know, pe people often need uh, people often need, you know, this, that, the other, and they need, you know, to be constantly medicated." Well, we've already seen from the world experts. We've already seen from case studies within our own groups that people who have had the mild scale of concussions, tra traumatic traumatic brain injuries, mild traumatic brain injuries have um, had their recoveries kind of suspended by being, you know, kind of over-medicated. Whereas those who have had more serious injuries have also joined in with uh, this group uh, are then constantly relying on them. So there does need to be a great understanding. Uh, I don't want any misunderstanding over this. And, I'm, and, you know, there's no judgment here. There's no, there's no kind of like trying to separate people. It's simply uh, a case of uh, specification. And a lot of the times doctors and neurologists are, caught, are, are just feeding this misunderstanding. They're telling patients the wrong things. They're telling them, giving them misinformation based on what little they know. And so they they really really don't help so the education needs to be in the er rooms it needs to be with the doctors neurologists and so on specialist neurologists will know a lot more and will generally be able to guide people but at the very early stages when a patient's being told what's happened to them they're, they're quite clearly being given the wrong information and then being led to believe that they're going to need to be on drugs for years and years to come and so it's a self-sustaining path for the people that kind of like, you know, profit from the drug industry, that profit from medications, because they're, you know, the doctors are there, well, you know, that's their lifeblood is to sell these pills and to sell the painkillers and the tranquilizers and everything else. But when it gets to the point where it's not helping a person, when it gets to the point where that person's recovery is in stasis because of uh, dependency, or like mild dependency on, on uh, these medications, then you've got a real problem. Other issues here is due to uh, self-medication. Now, a lot of people in the groups may uh, not talk about this. There are some, uh, like Blair Benson and others, which uh, uh, have groups specifically dedicated to you know people that have uh, gone through substance misuse, as, as it's termed, and post-concussion syndrome at the same time. 
and obviously it's not one that people want to talk about on Facebook or or literally in public on social media um, because, you know, that people can be quite judgmental. And uh, I remember going back um, sort of seven, eight years ago, uh, the, men- the very mention then um, of, of that cannabis or, you know, marijuana, cannabis, cannabis oil would literally have a tide, tidal wave of people complaining and, 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 you know, kind of taking righteous indignation about, you know, this is disgusting. How can you have talk about drugs in a group like this? And, and yet within then a few, within a few years, we found that legalization has just actually turned the whole situation around. So it's interesting to see society's uh, actual opinions and what we, we're, we're kind of programmed to think about a plant substance or something that which has got extraordinary medicinal uses, extraordinary medicinal potential. At one moment, it's demonised as you know the devil weed and 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 can be you know kind of a horrible thing, but if used for the right purposes in the right format and for the in the right ways can actually be a wonderful tool for healing so for instance uh, if you talk about smoking cannabis this does not have any medicinal properties whatsoever i'm sorry it is only a disassociative to pain it will only help you sleep or uh, put you out in the short term there are very very okay there may be a, a minute amount of, of of, of kind of benefit to it but disassociating from pain and disassociating from you know insomnia and sleeplessness can help but in the long term smoking cannabis is not really good for you at all and it's going to hurt your lungs it's going to attack the macrophages in your lung sacs it's going to uh, particularly have we've heard in the uh, the media recently about people that have been vaping uh, cannabis oil or, or vaping CBD oil and it's just literally clogging up the lungs and causing uh, well we've had a lot of, a lot of deaths from that as well where people they're, they're just overwhelming the macrophages in the lungs um, if they've got popcorn lung or they've got some other type of tumor or and it's just really not looking good um, so smoking cannabis yeah can in the short term you know within hours, Within a day or so, it can leave you feeling, you know, kind of able to sleep or a bit pain, pain-free or completely pain-free for a few hours. But then if you wake up the next day, if you're not accustomed to that, then you're going to have the equivalent of, uh, you could have the equivalent of a, a weed hangover. Now, with, with the cannabis oil, which is from the female plants, you can see we'll look at it as a whole spectrum. Alkaloids are phytochemicals in any plant are nature's drugs, nature's chemicals. And Mother Nature, she doesn't just give you one thing at a time, like allopathy does, allopathic medicine. She'll give you a whole host of things. And those will link to receptors in your brain. They'll help your body. They'll help your body to heal. Because nature is functional. The functional medicine gets to the root cause of a problem. So... Uh, yeah, 86 alkaloids or so in, in the cannabis plant, in the, the female plant. In an oil, uh, you've got 
many things. Obviously, the THC will have an effect on cancer cells. It will have an effect on sleep and depression. It will have an uh, effect on pain. And then there's all the terpenes and beta-carphalines and, and many, many other alkaloids. Uh, CBD oil is cannabis oil that's got all the THC up to, I can't, down to uh, 0.2% filtered out. So you get most of the goodness, often though it comes from the male plant, from the hemp plant, so you don't quite get as much or an as enriched version. Uh, and obviously both are very expensive and the former Simpson oil can be illegal depending on where you live. So you've got to consider not only the benefits but also the costs and the risks and not encouraging anybody to break the law anywhere. But, uh, of course, there are many, many other things besides cannabis oil uh, which have similar qualities. And we've talked about capybara oil already, but there's many other things, flavonoids and things, that, that uh, anti-inflammatories from nature that are really, really good. So what risk should you take? Well, none unless you've you're really, really prepared to do that. But then, you know, like I say, don't be tempted to break the law or do anything that could to, could jeopardise yourself or, uh, you know, cause a danger to others. Um, in terms of other drugs that people used to self-medicate, well, I think probably the number one for a lot of people will be alcohol. Uh, a lot of people will use that to disassociate and to, to you know, block pain signals. And that's probably one of the most problematic ones, of course, to, to consider. There's many, many, well, there's many, many deaths every year from alcohol use. Um, probably up there with tobacco use and, and illegal drug use. There are many deaths still, but um, probably the numbers are quite comparable to actual prescription drugs as well. If you look at iatrogenesis and you look at the types of drugs that are um, that we know people are dying of, um, then it's actually quite a very high number, opiates and such like, certain tranquilizers and other drugs. But then there are the ones, obviously, that are covered up too. Um, you know, coroners and medical healthcare people will often uh, overlook prescription drugs when somebody dies of unknown causes they will quite often not want to bring that out so both sides could can kind of carry on pointing the finger at each other uh, and you know saying well one one hurts one cures and so on and so on but in truth i think the the future for medicine and drug use with post-concussion syndrome has to be somewhere in between it can be at a stage where now um, previously illegal or what's classed as street drugs are now being used in mainstream treatments, particularly in the USA and Canada. Um, things that haven't filtered over to other countries. Um, but yeah, the use of uh, MDMA in treatment of post-traumatic post stress disorder um, and post-traumatic symptoms uh, is available on the ground in the United States. And there are practitioners who are fully trained psychotherapists and psychologists who will use sessions uh, using the substance. Um, it com commonly is an ingredient of uh, the street drug ecstasy, 
whereas it was synthesized uh, in order to to kind of help in psychotherapy mainly and it's been used in um, couples therapy and, and uh, marriage marriage counseling in the past to great success and now it's been used to treat you know veterans of wars uh, and research is still ongoing but results tend to be generally positive there's always a fine line between uh, uh, use for medicinal therapy and then recreational use uh, and misuse of drugs and that goes for illegal drugs and prescription drugs because of course what's more acceptable to people is that to, oh well you know I get all these painkillers from the doctor and I just you know I'll probably take them more often than I should or these tranquilizers or diazepam or you know Xanax or whatever or sleeping tablets and I'll put myself out but then of course on the other side you've got the whole other side of the illegal drugs uh, and of course the deaths on either side are pretty much well, there is not a lot of difference between them, to be fair, from what statistics show us. Um, but the therapeutic use of uh, formerly classified drugs or currently classified drugs is proceeding. Um, psilocybin and mushrooms, uh, from which is a chemical derived from magic mushrooms, has been used to treat cancer patients, uh, uh, terminal cancer patients, for several years now and it is to reduce the fear of death. It is also used in antidepression treatments and treatments where people have had uh, long-term traumas uh, and so on. And so when used in the right setting, the right surroundings by the right people for medicinal use and not just for people wanting to get high recreationally, they can be really, really powerful tools for healing. Uh, there's many others. You've got uh, for pain and depression, uh, an anaesthetic, which is actually a chemical one, it's not from nature, uh, ketamine, which has been used more and more in the United States, and it's used over here in the UK now uh, for chronic pain sufferers, uh, for terminal cancer patients, the people that are really crippled with pain, and it's the fastest acting painkiller uh, that you know chemical science knows about. And it's also uh, one that lasts for many days and weeks afterwards, usually. And also, uh, it's been approved by the FDA in America uh, as a nasal spray to treat acute and severe uh, suicidal depression. That's people who are really, really at the end of the tether. They're really, really, uh, you know, kind of starting to lose it and are really, really seriously becoming a, a, a potential danger to themselves. So as a nasal spray, it has the power to act within, you know, kind of very, very short space of time. Within a day, that person could be sta stable and calm. Uh, issues surrounding this again, uh, a lot of negative press and things uh, from the media uh, claiming it's an animal tranquilizer and things when it was created for the use, uh, use in humans. And it's used in surgery in higher, in higher, much higher doses, uh, obviously big doses, uh, uh, as an anaesthetic. And it's used on children. It's used on elderly people. Uh, and then I think two, two decades after, uh, they then started using it in, uh, in terms of surgery for certain animals, like cats and dogs and, and so on. So, yeah, the, the misleading press... 
um, and you know the mis the misleading stories of people who had used these types of drugs for recreational purposes and either ended up dying or, or you know kind of uh, you know creating bad press uh, are always seen as the ones that take priority in people's minds. Uh, whereas education is needed, I think. And again, I'm not um, condoning the use of any of these for recreational purposes. But if you can find that they are offered within a traditional setting, within a, a new paradigm of medicine or a private practice that you visit, then I would seriously say we'll think about trying them because they offer many more advantages than most allopathic drugs which are in, in available in the marketplace today. And so what else would people like to see and, and how would you like to be treated? Would you like to have the freedom to be able to try something that, that truly works quickly and effectively uh, if you could pay for it yourself, if you could have it privately, um, without being branded as uh, a drug addict or you know uh, a junkie or something like that? Um, I think there's a, a big change required towards attitudes and uh, it's easy for people to kind of get on the high horse and judge other people especially people who are in a tremendous amount of chronic pain through post-concussion syndrome or other other illnesses similar they, they may be going through daily trauma repeating you know kind of amnesia chronic pain headaches fatigue brain fog all kinds of things and for somebody to then come along and say, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that, and being very judgmental um, is really not helpful. So, yes, take into account that there may be things that you don't have any experience of if you haven't had post-concussion syndrome, uh, even as a doctor or a nurse or somebody else. Be careful before you judge somebody. Uh, other things like that because it could be that you know uh, this is all that person can get this is all that person can find and of course none of us are perfect none of us are perfect beings at all and so it requires some empathy and some sympathy for people even if you can't see even if what they're going through is not evident you then need to ask more questions you know, rather than just closing your mind and, and you know, only the closed mind is certain, as we know, and saying, well, oh, you know, this person's just on it for whatever, or that, you know, there has to be a point where um, you can look uh, at future research and current research, which is ongoing, and say, well, maybe this is for the best uh, in terms of healthcare for the future, because the current model isn't working. If you ask most people, I guarantee you, if you ask 8 out of 10 people in our groups about how the, the medications are working, uh, I, I can guarantee you at least 8 out of 10 would say, well, this ain't working, or it only worked for a short time, it didn't work, uh, or, or I'm just back at square one now, I've tried X, Y, Z, um, painkillers, antidepressants, I've tried you know, A, B, C, and that didn't work either, and I'm back to square one. And until you break out of those cycles... Um, you, you know, you're not going to see any improvement. So the future uh, will be very different, I'm very sure, um, although on the same subject of, of drugs, illegal and prescription drugs, 
self-medication always comes up uh, and like I said before it's something which is um, usually hidden from view it may come in personal therapy or people may uh, have a dependency through having had post-concussion syndrome the need to be able to cope with how harsh it is and the fact that virtually nobody understands can lead people to self-medicate very heavily um, and I think it's something that yeah it is still quite a taboo subject there are some brave people and like myself I will, I will go on Facebook and players groups I will go and talk about this openly and we'll talk to people who are have been through similar injuries and they will be the ones who can have a reasonable discussion. Um, and it's happened with cannabis already, and we've got past that. We're at the stage now where we know it works for a host of things, from helping to kill cancer cells to treating epilepsy and even autism. It helps with fibromyalgia and chronic pain and fatigue and all kinds of stuff. So we know that's just one element of what is to come. Uh, so in self-medication, often people are trying to kind of get to a similar place where they can find relief and again you know it's it's often hidden because of people's judgment um i was just watching a pro program yesterday which is about um uh, the use of drugs and legalization and it was fe featuring and, and centering on portugal where a lot of street drugs have been decriminalized uh, and you know personal use and personal possession has um, been allowed and they were talking about the fact that most petty crime burglaries assaults and things are all linked to heroin use and when people are so physically and emotionally dependent on that to kill their pain wherever these people have been abused or they've been through the care system and been abused uh, ritually or otherwise and they've had problems they then generally turn to heroin as it's probably one of the only things that can kill both the physical and the mental pain and so society is helping to create these victims who are then kind of scorned as, as junkies and so on but they, they are often victims of a system and so the heroin use will often result in death or extremely ill health so in Portugal they, they, they'd cut down uh, by legalizing uh, i'm not suggesting this is right for every country but the similar models in holland where that said right okay to these addicts you can come to certain places we'll provide pure grade medical kind of heroin for you if you still want to take it and then if you want to talk to us we'll have people here you can talk to us about quitting and getting off and and you know kind of uh, uh, changing your lifestyle and and going through therapy to to get to the actual cause of the problems and they saw a, a dramatic cut, nearly half, uh, nearly halved the number of heroin addicts within the first couple of years. So um, it's the attitudes towards drugs which are the problem as much as the drugs themselves. So, and then the same attitudes towards prescription drugs and the abuse of prescription drugs are also hidden. So you've got the two kind of darker sides of legal and illegal drugs are both hidden from view, more or less. And that is a major factor. It's a major taboo in terms of brain injury and post-concussion syndrome. 
people don't want to come out and discuss publicly what they're dealing with or what's keeping them going in their eyes or what they become dependent on. And um, that's a, a, something which will have to be brought out eventually. Um, but it can't be brought out while the healthcare system is still in denial uh, of it. And whilst we've still got lawyers uh, kind of litigating over post-concussion syndrome because any any personal um, misdemeanor in terms of drugs can be used against a person. A person can lose a job, it can lose a livelihood. Uh, it's a very, very tenuous subject. And so, uh, please, if you have any thoughts, uh, if you want to send in accounts of your own uh, personal experiences with medications or self-medication, whether it's legal or illegal drugs, and you can do so anonymously. You'll have 100% anonymity. And you can do that by email or by uh, contacting me directly on, on Facebook. Or, uh, and, you know, I'll be happy to, to um, put those on the podcast and, and to talk about those in more detail. Um, I think that there's, there's quite a wide range of things. And it depends on the person and the character and their background. Um, and, and obviously where they live as to, as to what kind of things they're going to use to self-medicate as well. So that's quite a, a deep, in-depth look into um, the, the surrounding aspects of post-concussion syndrome. Amnesia, pain, mental pain, and there's also uh, the grief, grief of losing you, your sense of self, your old self the one which you probably will never get back entirely. Uh, but that, that is a subject for another podcast. All these things um, with self-medication and so on uh, can, can can make things pretty messy, I suppose. All the people that I've talked to down the years have, 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 uh, that have had such issues, that have been brave enough to speak about it, uh, have said, well, yeah, I, I was in a mess to start with. And then, you know, I had a bit of this or I drank too much or you know, took too many pills or, or whatever. And now, you know, and then I'm in a state where I'm just totally gone overboard and um, my life's kind of spiralling downwards quickly. So it, it has to be um, talked about. That's the only way such problems, such deep underlying problems don't get any better by people you know, kind of making them taboo or making them off limits or off subject. They really don't. That's not the way to help. So uh, we, we can only really, in my opinion, we can only really get to that conversation if attitudes uh, are kind of softened, but also if greater regulation uh, of, of non-prescription drugs comes in in order to help people. Because if people are helped in the right settings, whether it's with um, uh, MDMA or psilocybin or ketamine or any other substance that, that's available uh, to help them to heal, if it's in the right regulated um, circumstances and environment, then that person can make tremendous leaps and bounds in, in terms of progress. But as long as we're having this kind of attitude kind of cold front attitude that oh no those are just dirty street drugs and they can't possibly help anyone uh, whilst ignoring the fact that prescription medications kill just as many people then we're not going to get anywhere 
So again, yeah, uh, thank you for listening. Um, I hope that you, you're obviously going to share more of your thoughts with me on those matters because um, I'm by means no expert and I try not to make things too technical in the podcast or to go too deep into detail. Um, just to say what what the benefit of my experience has been down the years and, and the people I've met and come across daily, weekly. Uh, and then just to try and give you some of those insights. Um, so yeah, please let me know. Um, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, speaking to you uh, again soon in another podcast. And we've got more guests coming up as well. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you find us on Twitter, at PostConcussion as a Twitter handle, uh, postconcussion syndrome awareness uk.wordpress.com on the internet, or look on WordPress and search for postconcussion syndrome awareness worldwide. And also, um, yeah, find us on Facebook, uh, postconcussion syndrome awareness worldwide in the groups. There's, uh, I think, six or seven groups altogether. Or you can contact me directly, David Bottomley, on Facebook, or find me in the groups as well. So once again, thank you very much for listening and God bless. This is a very important disclaimer. In fact, it's not even a disclaimer. These are things that most sentient, intelligent, reasonable people actually know. And what am I talking about? In fact, in well, with the podcasts that we're making, you have to be responsible. Myself, my guests and my podcast are not here to give you medical advice. We are not paid professionals. So, as society and the woke community dictates, we are here to say to you, any information which we put out in the podcast, anything we give to you, is not construed or considered in any legal way or fashion whatsoever as medical advice. Any reasonable person knows that. But you're always going to get one or two or maybe a few hundred people that really are just as dumb as ABC XYZ. So, please do not take anything we say as medical advice or any other way. Please do your own research, your own research. Uh, just due diligence into whatever we say and if you need if you feel you need if you really because you could really trust yourself feel you need the help trust yourself to get in touch with your local practitioner general practitioner doctor specialist or whomever or your psychiatrist or whoever you're dealing with through post-concussion syndrome or any other health condition and if I need to spell this out any more just be really considerate and kind to yourself. And don't, please don't accept what we're saying as any kind of medical or legal or personal advice. I don't know how many other ways to say it, but I'm sure those of you who are intelligent enough will realise that, yeah, we don't give that kind of advice. And if you did want that kind of advice... You'd probably pay somebody that was really good at it to give give it to you in the first place. So don't worry about that. Uh, just enjoy the podcast. And uh, this summit is 24 now at least. And, and just, just really, really uh, have a, a wonderful time. And please get in touch if you need to. But don't worry about um, 
thinking that you know anything else just just really really enjoy what we're doing and so much love and respect to you all thank you <laughs>